Philippians 2.10 testifies that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. It doesn't matter who you are or what you believe, black, white, gay, straight, male, female, vaccinated or not, there is one ultimate truth that we will all be held accountable to, and this one truth is laid out for us in Scripture. Matthew 4.4 says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There is no area of life that God has not addressed in His living word, and law enforcement is no exception. It doesn't matter if you're a cop, crop duster, or cobbler, policeman, plumber, or politician, you are under the direct authority of Christ, the King of Kings. And if you have, as Christ commanded in Luke 9.23, taken up your cross and followed Him, then you're right beside me as a deputy of Christ. Alright, hello and welcome back to Deputies of Christ. I am going to pick off today where I left off last week, talking about limited government and Deuteronomy. Uh, we spent the first show, which was half of my notes, talking about just government set up in general according to God's word, and then uh, second, God is sovereign over law and government. And then today, we're going to get into the big point, which is God's laws for the justice system. And then the last little point at the end is talking about blessings and curses on if you follow God's law. So. Uh, it'll be good that this first point we're going to deal with is most of the meat of the show, so it, it'll be a long one. Uh, but it's always nice to follow it up with blessings and curses, especially the blessings part. So enjoy. Um, okay, so I guess before I get into it, my interview has happened. It hadn't happened when I put the first part of the show out, so now I have to talk about that. Uh, it honestly did not go as well as I was hoping it would. It. And this is my first job interview, and it was not the type of interview I was expecting. I guess I was expecting your normal just sit down and, you know, they ask you questions and you talk through stuff and, you know, why are you good for this job? Uh, what have you done to prepare yourself for this job? Those kind of stuff. But it was, they called it a benchmark interview where I heard them call it a weighted interview, which is they had this sheet of like 20 questions they asked and I just got graded directly on how many specific examples I gave for each question. So, you know, like if they, they didn't have a question like this, but if they had a question like, um, how many times did you drop an expensive piece of equipment at your previous job and did you tell your boss every time? You know, I, w I would have to say, well, there was this one time I dropped a snowblower. There's this one time that I dropped a, I don't know, a concrete block. You know, obviously that's a ridiculous example, but just kind of, I heard it explained that the more you talk, the better you do and the more you'll score. And I did not talk a whole lot because, and even the sheriff even told me this. I, yeah, fun fact, I actually got to interview with the actual sheriff, which is cool. But anyway, back to what I was saying. He even told me, like, when I finished going through this, he's like, your weakness is going to be that you've only had four years of job experience. You can't just sit here and give 10, 15 examples of each like some of these other 30, 40-year-old guys will be able to do. So that's going to be my weakness. I I hope I did good. Lord Lord willing, we'll see what happens. Um, I had a good time interviewing. They were both real nice to talk to. I interviewed with the sheriff and uh, another captain. It was a two-on-one two panel interview, so that was really cool. Uh, what's there? What else was there? Before I actually did the interview, they brought brought or sat me down and had me take a second test. Um, it was another just online yes/no question, um, kind of a moral ethics test. There, there was no way to prepare for it. I think I did fine on that. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure I did pretty darn good. And then that you get scored based on that test and how your interview goes, the points you get from your interview. So it's a very interesting, hands-on, direct way of interviewing. It wasn't. It wasn't personal. It wasn't, you know, do they like you as a person or how did they think you present yourself? It was literally just, how did you answer these questions? So that was interesting. Interesting to see what happens and uh, we'll go from there. But Lords will be done and now you get to enjoy the second half of this show. So let's get it. 
Alrighty, now I'm actually going to get into some, this is the longest point in the whole thing, but get into specifically talking about justice system and God's laws for justice system. First off is that justice is blind. I'm going to go to Genesis 19.21, which says, this is talking about laws concerning false witnesses. Um, if there's a witness, a false witness found, it's telling you how to deal with it. But the last part is, you shall not pity. Life shall be for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. It isn't quite as clear in this one. The next one is much more clear. But if he has committed the wrong, you give the punishment appropriate for that sin. It does not matter what they believe, where they are in life. You are to uphold justice. And then let's go to 16, 19 through 20, which states, You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, nor take a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. You shall follow what is altogether just, that you may live and inherit the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not take a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes and twists the words of the righteous. You shall altogether follow what is just, that you may live, which what is just is obviously God's law, that you may live long in the land that the Lord has given you. Justice is blind is that it doesn't matter who they are doesn't matter, your skin color doesn't matter, your position, it doesn't matter where you're from, what you do. If you've committed the wrong, justice is to be dealt. The, the punishment is not very based on who you are. Justice is justice, and that is, that's what it's talking about. And it mentions, I mean, uh, you shall uphold what is just, altogether just, which obviously is God's law. So God is obviously stating there, his law is true justice. Justice is blind. It's kind of weird to say God's law is blind, but... Uh, that's that's what we're getting at is that God is God's law is the ultimate justice and you shall not deviate from it because anytime you deviate from God's law you will get injustice in one way or another there is no way to avoid that okay the next one is one of the main purposes of justice which is to protect sanctity of life I'm going to go to 24 7 for this verse if a man is found kidnapping any of his brethren or of the children of Israel and mistreats or sells him, then that kidnapper shall die, and you shall put away the evil from among you. There's a couple points I can make off of this. Uh, first of all is, this is, and I've, I've brought up the sanctity of life, I think it was in the last show, but God gives no wiggle room when it comes to protecting the sanctity of life. Every man, woman, and child is made in the image of God, and we are to respect it. Even after death, when we bury our bodies, we are respecting the temple. Our bodies are temples to the Holy Spirit, and we respect them even after we're gone. Whether it be revering God in word, whether it be protecting people around you and standing up for innocent, we are to protect the sanctity of life, and that is one of the main goals of law enforcement. And there is no wiggle room. I mean, there's no wiggle room in this verse. If a man is found kidnapping any of his brethren of the children of Israel and mistreats him or sells him, then that kidnapper shall die. There are no exceptions. There are certain crimes like adultery. God gives the opportunity for the, the, the victim to forgive the trespasser. But in anything that has to do with murder, we are not given any authority to uh, lessen the punishment. The punishment God calls for is death. And this is because we must uphold the sanctity of life. And I'm going to... I'm going to take it to a little controversial step here. I'm going to say if we want to beat the human trafficking industry in America, we need to bring back biblical punishment for that. What they do to these people is perverse. It is wicked. It is from the pits of hell. And the only way to truly punish and get rid of this heinous crime that we have running rampant in our land is to bring back biblical punishment, bring back the death penalty for these people. It's despicable, and it's deserving of death. And by God's commandment, we are not administering true justice. Justice is not blind if we are not giving out true justice to these victims. Sanctity of life, we must protect. 
and the only way to truly protect it to the uttermost is to bring back the death penalty in these cases and enforce it. Okay, next position I want to bring up is once again that um, there's jurisdiction. God gives each different locals, in this case it's cities, but uh, local officials have jurisdiction over their area, and I'm going to bring up, I was going to bring up once again 21, 1 and 2, which is if a man is found slain, then you shall take out or go out and measure the distance to the nearest city, and it's those elders' responsibility. I won't bring it up because I've read that verse like twice. But that, that principle applies. So there is jurisdiction. It is not one court or some random court can take up this point. There is clear jurisdiction of who will deal with this case. The next point is investigation. God has clearly given government the role of investigation in crimes. I'm going to go first to 17 verse 4. I'm going to, I'm, there's four points. There's investi- and there's more, there's more that apply, but the only four that I can see clearly listed in, in this passage of scripture are uh, investigation of accusations, investigation of unsolved murder, investigation of false claims, and investigation of idolatry. So 17.4 actually applies to accusations and idolatry. I think there's another one that I had for accusations too, but now I can't remember it, so I'm just going to go with this one because it's still demonstrated. Okay, 17 verse 4 states, And if it is told you and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently. And if it is indeed true, such an abomination has been committed in Israel, then you shall take and bring out blah, blah, blah. So, if it is told you, that means that involves another party coming to you. That would be an accusation saying, hey, this was done. That is an accusation. So you're investigating for that, and you are investigating for idolatry. Uh, they're investigating to see if this has been committed, and then if so, there's a whole another eight verses or so that talks about how to deal with this. But those those are two that apply, and then two that other ones, that, or another one that God gives government jurisdiction over investigating over is unsolved murder in 21, 1 and 2, which once again, that's the passage about going out and measuring to the nearest city if a dead body is found. And then the last one is false claims, which is 1918. I don't think I've read this passage yet, so I'm actually going to kind of read. Okay, I'm going to read from verse 15 on just to get the whole thing. This is law concerning witnesses. One man shall not rise up against a man concerning any iniquity or sin that he has that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. If a false witness rises up against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, then both men in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and judges who serve in those days. The judges shall make a careful inquiry, and indeed, if the witness is false, he has testified falsely against his brother. Then you shall do to him as he thought to do, have done to his brother, so you shall put away the evil from among you. And those who remain shall hear and fear, and thereafter you shall not again commit such evil from er, evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. Life shall be for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So I read that whole thing just because I've read little bits and pieces before, and I just wanted to get that whole block out there because that is the context, and I will refer to that in a whole little later on. But that is the the, the main point I'm really focusing on there is um, then both men shall arise and stand before the Lord, the priests, and the judges who serve in those days, and the judges shall make careful inquiry. And indeed, if the false witness is false, so they shall investigate, they shall find out if this witness is in fact, or is in fact telling the truth or lying about this. So once again, that's a clear position. And and honestly, I mean, that I, I labeled that as God gives authority to investigate false claims, but at that point, they don't know that it's false. They're going before, or they're standing before the judges and the priest, they present their cases, and the governments are investigating to see if the claim is true. It doesn't say what the claim is. So... Really, that right there gives authority over the, for the government to investigate any crime or claim or accusation of crime made, which is the government's job. So even though I only labeled it as one, really that's kind of encompasses everything. It just says, if a case is brought before the judges, the judges shall investigate. And once again, I just want to point out that every one of these 
cases is not the judges going out and just looking for things and finding things. This is cases being brought to the judges. This is still a passive justice, like I defined passive earlier. This is still, they must wait, and they're ready. In multiple of these cases, it says you shall inquire diligently. You shall work hard to find the truth of the matter, but you shall not do anything until it is brought before you. Okay, the next point to bring up is uh, multiple witnesses. I've read both of those verses before, so I'm not going to bring them up. It's just man should not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. It must be by two or three. Next is cities of refuge. Um, I'm going to, no, let me just go. Uh, 19 verses 2 through 12. That's a long passage. This is a fascinating system that God set up, and I really... I. I, I will be doing a show on this at some point. I don't know when because it's super, super cool. And it's a very different uh, system of justice than we have right now. Not not really at the roots it's the same, but the application of it is very different. And I think it's very interesting. And it's the system God gave, so I want to study it and see what, what's there. But okay, starting at 19 verse 2. Uh, you shall separate three cities for yourself in the midst of the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You shall prepare roads for yourself and divide into three parts the territory of your land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit that the manslayer may flee there. Goodness, I'm sorry, I can't read today. I don't know why. And this is the case of the manslayer who flees there that he may live. Whoever kills his neighbor unintentionally, not having hated him in the past, when a man goes into the woods with his neighbor to cut timber and swings his stroke with an axe to cut down a tree and a hand slips from the handle and strikes the neighbor that he dies, you shall flee to one of these cities and live, that lest the avenger of blood, while his anger is hot, pursue the manslayer and overtake him because the way is long and kill him though he was not deserving of death since he did not had not hated the victim in past. Therefore, I command you, saying, You shall separate three cities for yourself. And if Lord your God enlarges your territory, as he swore to your father, and gives you the land which he promised to your fathers, and if you keep all the commandments and do them that I command you today to love the Lord your God and walk always in his ways, then you shall add three more cities for yourself besides these three, lest the innocent blood shall be shed in the midst of your land which the Lord your God has given you as inheritance, and thus guilt of bloodshed be upon you. But if anyone hates his neighbor, lies and waits for him, rises against him, and strikes him mortally that he dies, and flees to one of these cities, then the elders of the city shall send him and bring him out from there, and deliver him over to the hand of the avenger of blood, that he may die. Your body or your eye shall not pity, but you shall always put away the guilt of innocent blood from the Israel, that it may be well with you. So that was the whole passage. Once again, I'm sorry, I did not read it very well. I don't know why I can't read this morning. But this is a very interesting system, and there's more here. I mean, the cities of refuge is dealt with here. It's dealt with in, I believe it's Numbers, and then it's also brought up in Joshua. I just read that this morning, fun fact. Um, it's a very interesting detailed system of the cities of refuge being a protection for manslayers to go so that they're not killed while they're awaiting trial. And it, it doesn't mention it here, but it does mention, I believe it's in the Numbers passage, uh, they shall wait there until they are put before trial with uh, all the nation of Israel. So it's not like they go there and they're just eternally safe. They still have a trial to hold, but it's, it's, yeah, I guess that's Old Testament way of protective custody. You're in the city of refuge. You're safe from the avenger of blood, who is, the avenger of blood is the closest uh, relative, kind of responsible for bringing justice for the bloodshed of his uh, relative. It's a very interesting system. Like I said, I'm not going to get in, I don't want to get into it too much because it's fascinating and I will be doing a show on it eventually. I don't know when that'll be. I love it. I want to study it more, but moving on. Um, I think actually kind of off of that, and one of the verses mentioned in there is 11 and 12, but if anyone hates his neighbor, lies and waits for him, rises against him, strikes him mortally so that he dies, and flees to one of these cities, then the elders of the city shall send and bring him from there and deliver him over to the avenger of blood. So you'll notice, even though this is not like, this is, you set up the cities, and when a man kills him, he flees there. Uh, the elders of the cities, it mentions, I believe, in the Joshua patches, that there's actually like, basically a uh, 
informa information center, a check-in booth at the gates of the city, and when the manslayer comes, he checks in with the elders and judges, and then from there, the elders and judges say, yes, you may go in, or no, you're a murderer, you may not, kind of a thing. There's still, this is not as government-rooted, there's there's a little more independence here, but it's still overseen by government. I mean, the, the judges let you in and out of the city, uh, the judges keep the Avenger of Blood from killing you while you're in the city, and if you are a murderer and you reside in the city, it is the uh, elder's responsibility to go and get you and bring you out of the city and deliver you over. So there's still, the government is responsible for still handling all of the people and processing everything that goes with these cities, even though it's not a, I mean, it's not, it's not a holding cell, it's not a jail system. Okay, so this next point is where we're actually going to start getting into a little bit more of the criminal justice system and the trials and uh, or your sentence. So let's start with, this next one's a little long, 19, 15 through 17. Well, it's actually not that long. This is a passage that gives the different parts of a trial. Um, you have your judges, your priests, your defendant, your plaintiff, and your witnesses that are listed here. So I just want to go through this real quick because they're not like, it's not listing them. It's just they're all mentioned in this passage talking about court. And I've read this before. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it again anyway. It says, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. If a false witness arises against any man to testify against him of wrongdoing, then both men in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who serve in those days. And the judges shall make careful inquiry. And indeed, if the witness is found false, he who testified falsely against his brother, then you shall do to him as he thought to do to his brother. So you shall put away this evil from among you, and those who remain shall hear and fear. That was, I mean, that's just a basic description of your court process, and then it lists judges, priests, defendant, plaintiff, and witness as all part of the process. And I would, I mean, I would say, you know, these days we don't have actual priests standing in the courtroom, but uh, the Bible is our leading guide, or should be our leading guide when it comes to law, and it should be just as the police, or police, goodness, just as the priests were there in, in biblical times to show God's will and to judge if need be, we have the inspired word of God that we should be referring to and uh, having as the base of our law. Um, I mean, the Ten Commandments and all that. There's all stuff, kinds of stuff around the country we hear with, you know, Ten Commandments being in the courtroom. And I mean, you'd swear into witness stand on the scripture and everything else. So it's there. It's just not as here to as much as it should be. Okay, the next is um, courtroom procedures. And this, this is actually from the same verse. And this is very interesting because, or I really think it's interesting. Uh, 19, 17 through 21, which is what I just read. Well, I read 15 through 21, but 17 would be, Then both man in the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who serve in those days. And the judges shall make careful inquiry. And indeed, if the witness is a false witness, he who testified falsely against his brother, then you shall do to him as he thought to do to his brother. So you shall put away the evil from among you. What a difference this would make in our justice system today if we applied this like this. I mean, we have, you know punishments and penalties on falsely testifying in court but outside of the courtroom i mean you you look at i mean one example that just comes to mind is all the sexual scandals we've had in the last three four years all the political schemes and some of them have been true it's been despicable how many of them are true but there's some that are just um being thrown out against somebody because you don't like them or you want to throw a political wrench in their campaign or you just want to get the spotlight and I mean, they're, they come out and there's this huge controversy and then it gets decided they're not true and everybody just stops mentioning it and, you know, everybody goes back to normal life. Whereas if it was a biblical system, if they're actually throwing that, filing that complaint and suing them, if they lose that case and they're shown to be false and be lying, they would be given the punishment that they're seeking to put on the other person. So like, it's a huge, 
it's a huge risk and that would change i think that would have a huge impact on the i mean for one just the amount of court cases we're dealing with the amount of lawsuits like this i think it would change how how much we have i'm not a judge i don't see all this stuff but just from the, all the stuff i hear about this is something that comes to my mind of wow that would that would make an impact in this area okay so now let's look at some structure of the, the uh, court proceedings let's go to 25 1 and 3 and when I'm not saying the references, because these are all in Deuteronomy, so FYI, just bump the mic there. All right, 25, 1 through 3 is, If there is a dispute between men, and they come to court, that the judges may judge between them, and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked, then it shall be, if the wicked man deserves to be beaten, that the judges will cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence according to his guilt with a certain number of blows. So this is, once again, really all you needed was the first verse there, but I like giving context. But this part here, once again, goes back to your preventative justice side of government. If there is a dispute between men and they come to court, this is not a for sure they have to come to court. This is not you come bring them to court. This is if they have a dispute and they come to court, they file a lawsuit, and this is going to be your civilian court case. Obviously, this is not, you know, somebody murdered somebody else. Those are mandatory, but this is he stole something of mine or something that they are choosing to bring before the authorities, then that's that's showing where it starts. I mean, that's the beginning of the process. If they come to you, that you judge between them, you judge and you justify the righteous and the wicked, that's your overview of the beginning of your trial. Okay, next let's look at um, your sentence or your punishment. After, this is obviously after the trial has gone and happened, what is the next step biblically? What, what, what does it look like? There's several different points I have here. Number one, the punishment was public. Number two, punishment was a deterrent for the people. And then there were different types of punishment mentioned. And then a big point is the punishment was immediate. So let's go back to the top here and look at punishment in public. 17.5 says, it's right here actually. 17.5 says, Then you shall bring out to the gates the man or woman who has committed that wicked thing, and you shall stone to death that man or woman with stones. There's a lot here to dissect. But first of all, it's done at the gates. This is done. I mean, this is, no, there's no social media. This is the social media of the day. Anything that, that the whole city is involved in is done at the gates. The It's kind of like the town square. I mean, everybody comes in and out of the gates. Everything happens. I mean, in in scripture in Old Testament, it talks about uh, the elders sit at the gates of the city. When uh, David's son tried to steal or did successfully steal the hearts of the people away from David, he always did it standing in the gates and talking to the people. The gates were just an assembly place of the city. That's a normal thing. So doing it at the entrance of the gate, everybody's going to see this. This is a very, very public open thing. It's not done in some back room on a medical table. It's done in open, and we'll get to that here in a minute. But that's that's the first thing that to bring up is just it. it's a public thing. It will be seen by all. Second part is 17 verse 7, which reads, The hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterwards the hands of all the people. So you shall put away this evil from among you. So why is it all of the people? It starts first with the witnesses, which actually I should switch that around and talk about that part first. It starts with the witnesses, which is very interesting. It starts with the people who made the accusation then have to follow through and actually be the one to execute them. It's interesting because it's actually just another factor of witness authentication. You know, like nowadays you have to swear in on the word of God, but if we had this in place also, if your testimony was found to be true, even if you were lying, you had to be the one to put them to death. And not only does anybody want that accountability, but also you directly now have this person's blood on your hands if you testified falsely in court in a very physical, hands-on way. 
So that's hard for the individual witnesses, but also on top of this, it's another level of accountability for your civil government because now the people are the ones being the executioners, not somebody in a dark hood with an axe. It's not somebody on the government's payroll that just does their job. The people have to stand up whether they want to or not if it's a criminal, and they can't just let it slide on through because they're not involved and just kind of turn a blind eye. They either have to execute this person or stand up to the government and say, we will not execute this person. This was not a fair trial or some scenario like that. So it's just another barrier between uh, the government and the people. Um, so that's that's an interesting aspect that it was the accuser first that did it. That's really cool. And then all of the people followed it. And why did all the people follow it? That'll get into my next point of it being a deterrent. But another thing that I kind of want to mention is this also emphasizes the whole act at the gates part. I mean, it was something that happened regularly in public that the public contributed to and were a part of one of the things that instantly pops up into my head is just kind of like that's that's so gruesome and, and dark and it is it's very evil but having that as a deterrent there and having that will have a positive impact in the long run because people will see that happen and you know you're thinking oh well, what a, or i was thinking at least oh what about the children and all oh, the, the poor people that don't want to see this well if you don't want to see it then don't go i mean it's not like you're forcing people to watch this it's just like social media. If you don't want to see what's on social media, stop going to social media. If, if you know that there's something going on that you don't want your young children seeing, don't go through the gate at that point. Go through a different gate or wait or something. There's there's something you can do. It's not like you're forcing people to watch this, which makes it not quite as gruesome and dark. It's still something that's being portrayed and being done in public uh, because justice is for all to see, but it's not like they're forcing you to watch it. It's not barbaric. There are still ways to get around it if you don't want to see it, if you don't want to be a part of it, um, and... You, you have control over that. So now let's go to this next part is punishment as a deterrent. This is a very interesting point. I want to read before I get in a little too far. I want to read 1920, which states, we've read this a couple times, but, and those who remain shall hear and fear, and therefore you shall not commit such evil among you. So that, that right there is the point. This is, um, the part about false witnesses saying if there's a false witness, you take him out and stone him, the people stone him, um, and then they will hear and fear and not want to be a false witness. And that is a big part of this is, you know, they shall hear and fear and not want to commit this evil. That's huge because that's, uh, that is a deterrent that having this, having to put people to death for this crime, knowing what's going to happen. And I mean, talk about a gruesome death. Stoning is just disgusting. I mean, just think about how, I mean, I don't really want to think about how disgusting and gruesome and painful and long of a process this is. Uh, it would be extremely hard to do, extremely hard to watch. Nobody's going to want that to happen to them. It's not, you know, 10 years in prison. This is, or life sentence in prison even. This is this is hard. This is very hard to watch, very hard to be a part of, and nobody's going to want to be in it. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to serve as a deterrent for the people. And obviously, even if we don't think that, it says right there in God's word, do it because people will hear and fear and you shall put this evil away from among you. So God's saying that that works, so I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on that one. <laughs> okay, and then off of that, let's go back to uh, 17 verse 7, which is part of what we just read. The hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterwards the hands of all the people, so you shall put away this evil from among you. Again, that's stating this is, here's the process, and the result will be to put the evil away from among you. And then also... Um, 17.5 Then you shall bring out to your gates that man or woman and who has committed that wicked thing and stone him to death with the man or stone to death the man or woman with stones. So that's just kind of re reintegrating the uh, nastiness of this process. Uh, man, woman, 
it doesn't matter if this is what you deserve this is what you get and it's the whole people the population does this it is the public it is out for the public because um i i'm just keep repeating myself now because i don't know what else to say on this but i don't want to beat a dead horse but i mean this is this is crucial to the justice true justice is that justice is public and that the public is involved in it and then quite obviously um i mean people are stoning this person so they're not going to want to be stoned to themselves and people are watching this stoning and even just hearing this stoning and know that it knowing that it's happening that's going to be quite gruesome and i mean i'm sure that being stoned is a very uh, loud groaning process and you're making a lot of noise while you're being beaten to death and have your bones mashed with rocks so you're going to be shouting and screaming and it's not going to be pleasant and you're going to hear that for a ways so oh that's not pleasant to think about Okay, so now let's talk about different kinds of punishment mentioned. Obviously, there's a whole slew, but there are three mentioned in these passages I'm reading. One is right there, stoning with stones. Um, it is it is the most often, I, th I think, the most often mentioned way of, um, especially the death penalty. I mean, obviously, it's a death penalty. Um, in the Old Testament, is through stoning. And I think that's one reason is it's not, it, that if you, if you do something more low-key, or I mean, like, uh, I have this conversation with some people, and I've, you know, it comes up like stoning the stones is so barbaric and, and gruesome. And I'm like, yeah, it is, but that's what God commanded. So there's obviously a reason he did that. And we have, you know, nowadays we can do it by drugs or we can go back a little ways and do it by firing squad, whatever's needed. They could have done that back then too. They had, they had drugs, they had um, bow and arrow, they could have done a firing squad, but God specifically chose stoning. And I think we need to be very careful not to ignore that because that means that it served a very specific purpose. And I believe in this way, it is a deterrent. You don't want to be stoned. You don't want to see it. You don't want to hear it. Um, and if you take that element of that painful stoning away and just do it by a firing squad or by an execution or an axe or whatever it is, that is going to drastically change the uh, level of deterrency that it has. The second method is by hanging in 2123. I'm going to read 22 and 23. If, if a man has committed sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord his God has given you as an inheritance, for he who is hanged is accursed of the Lord. So there's hanging. I'm not sure. That's kind of randomly mentioned out of the blue. I'm really not sure what the, um, what the laws and regulations are regarding hanging. I guess it's acceptable if you do it properly. I never really remembered seeing hanging before this. But uh, apparently it's there. So there's stoning and hanging. And then it also says, this is obviously not a uh, sentence of death, but uh, in 25.3 it says beating. And I've read this one a couple times too today. Forty blows you may give him and no more, lest, lest you should exceed him and beat him with many blows above these and your brother be humiliated in your sight. So this is obviously for a lesser degree. It, I mean, it's literally saying don't humiliate him. So this is for non egregious crimes um like murder or anything like that that is not deserving of the death penalty obviously still very painful i don't know i, I was when i hear beating like this i assume they mean with scourging or with a, you know a whip scourging or something like that but i mean i honestly don't know it could be something else um but there again it's a limit that god has set and it's a method of punishment that god gives of beating so those are and there's more through scripture these are just the three that are in this passage okay then the last point in this third section is the fact that the punishment is immediate and this is a pretty big one i think in our day um 25 1 through 3 says if there's a dispute between a man and they come to court we've read this several times so i'm just going to go ahead and skip down it says that judge shall cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence according to his guilt a certain number of blows so this is immediate this is if you get sentenced you're doing it right there in front of the judge it's getting done 
which is very interesting. Um, because this, this is definitely not the system we have today. I mean, if it's a fine, you pay your fine and you go, but especially something like a death sentence. I mean, in the rare case that we actually, somebody actually gets death sentence today, I hear stories of they can actually die in prison while they're of old age by the time they actually get their line on, or chance in line on death row. The system is so slow. There's so many, I don't, I mean, I don't know what it is and I'm not here to really talk about that part of it, but the, there are such, so many roadblocks and stops in the system that you can die of a different punishment before you actually get your punishment. And that is crooked and perverse. I mean, you talk about not leaving a man to hang overnight. That's, this is way worse. I mean, you're, you're literally just letting criminals live that have biblically deserved the death mandate. And it's not that they deserve it. It's that God commands it because they have defiled the image of God in some way. If, if they're getting the death penalty, that's why. So this is something with death penalty, but really with any, I mean, the amount of time that we pay for criminals to just sit in prison awaiting their sentence or, or live out their sentence or whatever it is, I think that's very ungodly and unbiblical. I do not like the correction system we have um, of where people can just, I mean, you just go to prison for 30 years for killing somebody and then you're out again. Like, that's just crazy. And, but I've, I've dealt with that. I've talked about that before. But so that's that's a big thing I think that we need to we need to get back to is immediate punishment. It's not justice if it's delayed. That's That's ungodly. Okay, so there's, now we're going to go on to lighter, well, kind of lighter topics. Um, the last point, this is the short one. Uh, blessings and curses that God gives. The whole, all of this, there's all these laws, chapters and chapters of laws and regulations. And then after this, Moses says some stuff and you go on. And then 28 is all about blessings. That's called blessings on obedience and curses on disobedience. It's a bit of a long chapter, but it's actually really cool to read. The first 14 verses are blessings and then verse 15 through 68 so that's a little bit more than 14 are on curses so you gotta pay attention because god will bless you but man will curse the heck out of you if you don't obey him uh so first before we really get into that though let's let's go back and look here for a second at there there's the blessings and curses but obviously there's first the regulations so if we go back to 17 6 through 20 it says, whoever deserves, no, I'm sorry, 17, 16 through 20. Ha, 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 that makes a difference. This is once again talking about a king, but he, the king, shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, let his heart turn away, nor he shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Also, it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one that is before the priests, the Levites, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, and be careful to observe all the words of his law and his statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in the kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. There's your regulation right there. I mean, the, the last several verses there are all about guarding your heart and sticking to God's law. So those are, that's obviously, that's the requirement. And then when you go to verse 8 or chapter 28, you get the blessings and curses for that. And I I kind of wanted to go into this chapter more, but I didn't because there's a lot a lot of meat there. But 18 verse 9 says, uh, The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in all his ways. So once again, there's the requirement stated from earlier. Blessings and curses rely on obedience to God's law. And that is both your calling and your warning that you will be judged on if you do not obey. 
And then let me just from verse 20 or chapter 28, 28 verse 1, it says, Now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all these commandments which I command you today. Once again, the regulation that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And then the rest of it is all the blessings that will follow, which is incredible and awesome. But then you go to verse, I think it's 15, yeah, 28, 15. This is the first one talking about curses. It said, but if it shall come to pass that you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And then it lists the next 40 verses of curses that will come upon you if you do not obey the Lord your God. So that's really cool. There's some really cool stuff in there. And it's, it's, a, it's a really cool reminder to me that... I hate this phrase direction, not perfection, but if you see all throughout the Old Testament with Israel and Judah totally in rebellion, and then as soon as they turn around, it takes one one good king that um, turns around, takes down the high places, whatever it is, God immediately starts pouring out blessings. Even though there's still all kinds of corruption that they're working to uprooting, immediately after you start moving the right direction, God blesses you. He rewards the work as you do it, which is incredible to us because our country is not in a great place when it comes to obeying God's law. But we know that as soon as we start turning around and start blessing the Lord and praising the Lord, obeying his commands, then we will see blessing and flourishing in our country. And it won't necessarily be on a national level. You'll see it, you know, when one county stands up and does it, that county will start to flourish and that'll impact the counties around it. And the counties will, other counties will turn to the Lord and start to flourish. It's time after time, the Lord works from small to large scale, not the opposite way around. And it's much more effective if you think about it. So um, it's really encouraging. I, re- I loved reading that, just going through that chapter. It's filled with blessings and blessings. And also the curses. We're seeing a lot of the curses on our land right now because we are not obeying God's law. And we're continuing to be more, more perverse. So that is all I have for today. I hope that that was helpful. I feel like I say that every episode now. The notes are awesome. I'm just putting them together was really helpful for me to just... Um, get everything in line, see what scripture says about it. I hope I can communicate that better. I feel like it would almost be better if I just took all my notes and posted them on, on a blog or something because it's four pages of notes and it, it's going to be two, it's two shows now, but I mean, it took me over an hour to just get over it all. Yeah, an hour and 20 minutes. Wow. It was really good for me to sit here and talk about it. And I hope that it was good for the people who don't have their, probably don't have their Bible open and don't have the full context of the scriptures. But I mean, again, there were only like 10, 15 scriptures that I referenced there. I just, or passages, I just kept referencing them over and over in different ways. And so I hope that cross-referencing and intertwining of this will help concrete stuff in your mind. So that's the end of everything that I had pre-recorded. I hope that it was good. A teaser trailer. Next episode that I do will be on Cities of Refuge. I know I wasn't sure when that would come out, but I made up my mind now. I'm just going to do it next week. So uh, that will be really cool. I, I'm i enjoying that. I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, I guess that's it. Feel free to jump on Instagram. I'm not sure if there'll be a whole lot coming out. I'm waiting now for like three weeks until I get results from the interview and then see what happens next. Uh, words will be done and if I pass or not, but we will see what comes. So I'm going to stop blabbing and get off now. So have a good week. Brothers and sisters, as true Christians, we have surrendered our lives and rights to Christ. As such, we are held to a high standard. We don't have the right to remain silent. We have been called to spread the gospel and claim ground for Christ in every area of life. Everything we say and do, we will be held accountable for in the throne room of God. So act wisely. We do not deserve representation before our Lord for all our shortcomings. But we have been assigned to the ultimate mediator between God and man. 
He has pled our case and won our freedom. Having heard these rights, it is now up to us if we choose to go forward and fulfill our calling as deputies of Christ.